found some wood and started a fire and danced even though there wasn't any music. I went to meetings, I wrote the letters, and pretty soon I wasn't alone. We get out of the truck, we hiked through this field with our surfboards. I'm like, there's no way there's going to be waves here. At Patagonia, we are climbers and skiers. We are surfers and anglers. We're activists and dreamers. Stories of the fabric of our shared culture, and we're proud to sponsor the Dirtbag Diaries. Visit us at Patagonia.com. This is how summer days begin. The engine turns over. I negotiate my 93 Toyota pickup out of Seattle towards a day of climbing in the mountains. And this is also how my fall mountain bike rides begin. And midwinter powder days. And the first warm days of spring. Yeah, at times the irony it can be a little bit hard to ignore. I'll drive hundreds of miles so that I can exist in this landscape, the void of angry horn blasts and wheezing engines. The traffic that clogs our towns and cities, it can feel suffocating. Yet, in order to escape it, what do we do? We pull out, we signal, and we merge on in. We become a part of the very thing that we spend our time cursing. Now, personally, I've always found that I can live with the contradictions because I go crazy without the mountains. So I drive. That's the solution. I've just always done it that way. Until now. For the first time in 291,000 miles, the truck was in need of some serious help. 45 miles to the east, the Cascades taunted me. It was the best weather of the year, and I was stuck inside the urban jungle. I had to get out. The plan on the table, it's absurd. The preparation, it's suspect. The odds are stacked against us. Now that I think about it, the situation's actually totally normal. I mean, after all, you're listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. I'm Fitzka Hall. No car, no problem. Okay, we're going to need quarters. Lots of quarters. Okay, let's see. What else? Um, we're going to need some bus schedules and some guidebooks, and it's going to take a pinch of creativity. In the Northwest, we've got long summer days, so we've got a lots of light to work with. Usually on Thursdays, I go mountain biking with a couple of friends. One other night a week, I'll go out cracking. During the weekends, I usually make them count. So at the very least, I make two trips a week out into the mountains, and I always drive. Social economists have determined that most people, when presented with a choice, will almost always select the option they are most familiar with. Familiar becomes the default choice simply because we prefer known quotients. It's why maybe you go to your favorite restaurant, you look at the menu, scan it, but then you always order the same thing. When it comes to recreating, I drive to the trailhead because that's just always the way I've done it. But if I think about it, it's hard to see why. I mean, I live in a major metropolitan area with a superlative transit system. We even have monorail here in Seattle. I've got two strong legs, and the foothills really aren't all that far away from Seattle. So what's stopping me? There's no reason. Do I really need a car to get where I'm going?
Mission 1, Grand Ridge Mountain Biking. Just outside the suburb of Issaquah, the Grand Ridge Trail is about a 35-minute drive, even in the heart of rush hour. It's got a few burly climbs, a couple sweet descents, and for the most part, the trail is empty, so I like it. And I've been riding it a lot this summer. It's also a perfect warm-up for carless recreation. For my home in Ballard, all I have to do is walk a block and a half, hop on the local 28, which runs downtown, and then the 554 runs from downtown Seattle to downtown Issaquah. I ride out to the high school, I go out back, where the kids smoke cigarettes between classes, and there's some dirt roads that climb a thousand feet into the mountains, and I'll be at the trailhead. It adds four or five miles to the process, but that's the point, right? I mean, the point, after all, is to go mountain biking. So that's what I'm going to go do. How much do you need? Uh, I think like two, two twenty-five. Okay, two twenty-five. Just got hosed by the bus. There are only two bike racks, and we have two bikes, which would work. But there was one bike already on it, so now we have to haul our ass downtown to uh, catch the bus out to Issaquah. Every King County Metro bus comes equipped with a bike rack. With gas prices on the surge and ridership up, Beck and I quickly learned that a spot on the bike rack is a hot commodity. If someone shows up on the bus and they've already got a bike on the rack, you're hosed. If there's someone waiting in line with you, you're hosed. The 28 pulls away. We pedal like mad towards downtown. A little bit out of breath, uh, <laughs> we're figuring this all out. It's uh, interesting. We've uh, had another mad dash after a bus, and uh, I think we got it. I think we got it figured out. We beat the bus again. Maybe it's the mad dash downtown, the bus chasing, but right now I'm giddy. I haven't even made it to the trailhead, and I'm having fun. For five years, I rode these buses back and forth from school, back and forth from work, and I never associated mass transit with excitement. Not once. We finally, finally made it out in the woods, and I'm doing my, uh, my typical afternoon suffering feels good at 7 p.m. we make our way out of the darkening woods a barred owl flies out in front of my bike wheel and swoops low to the trail disappearing into the woods we're at the Issaquah Highlands parking ride that was a ride that was fun not too muddy Easy uphill, fun downhill. By the time we make it home, five hours have elapsed. We've pedaled 20 miles, ridden three buses, shelled out $8.50 for fare, and had a pretty good afternoon. Cost-wise, it's slightly less than what we would have spent on gas, but the benefit was I didn't have to sit in traffic. I caught up on my reading, read some articles I've been meaning to get to. It was a piece of cake in general. To admit, I've been thinking about these trips long before the truck started spraying coolant all over the driveway. 
there was just something intriguing about them. First off, there's no way around it. $4 gas inspires introspection. It just happens. Second of all, as a dirtbag, I possess a preternatural knack for thriftiness. But mostly, I've been struggling with a contradiction. All these summits, the wonder of dawn light, and the peace I feel while out in the mountains, I need these things. They are part of who I am, part of how I make a living. But when I pry apart the numbers and look at it honestly, it makes me squirm. As you may know, I hit my goal of skiing 30 days this year. Actually, I made it to 32. The closest place to ski is about 60 miles away, 62 miles away from my house. Round trip, that's 124 miles. Between December and June, I drove more than 4,300 miles to ski. Combine that with the climbing and mountain biking miles for the year, and I've probably driven 10,000 miles in the name of getting outside. All through my life, I've changed the way I live. I've changed the way I eat, how I buy stuff, how I consume, to fit more in line with, with my beliefs. But the proverbial elephant in the closet, it's always been my driving. And it's partially out of laziness that I haven't looked at this, but it's also out of fear. It just seemed that less driving meant less time in the mountains. Okay, mission two. We're going rock climbing out in North Bend today. We're gonna meet a friend out there. And the catch is there are no buses. It's all human powered, all pedal power today. So I've just started and I got about 42 miles to go before I even start cracking. And then, uh, yeah, see if I can make it back. We're gonna see how this goes. Wow. So I'm about seven miles into it, and uh, yeah, I'm totally in a neighborhood I've never been in before. I'm on a road that I had no idea existed. It's kind of cool. Different, at least. That is not a good sound. I changed the tire and I'm on the way. And then. So here I am, right on 990. Yeah, I think so. And what's the real cost of these sports we play, the sports we do? finding out right now. It's hurting too, I'm not gonna lie. Changing a tire out here on 990. Bellevue, Factoria, Eastgate, Sammamish. I pedal across the eastern suburbs. School children play in the early September sunshine. It's a perfect day. Slowly, the housing developments dissolve into forest. I follow back roads through woods and then fields. So, I'm about three quarters of the way there, and my enthusiasm is definitely waning right now. It's a beautiful day, but this is painful. Like, no joke. 
terrible idea. Six miles away from the crag, I'm exhausted and not looking forward to riding home. That is the sound of my third flat tire for the day. I think that also sounds like a failure. We got on a limb there. I pause along a stretch of the Snoqualmie River I've driven past at least a dozen times. I walk along the rocky bank, stretch out on the sand in the warm midday sunshine, and finally plunge into the cold water. Later that night, I slowly pedal back to Seattle, exhausted, completely whooped. 60-some miles of biking, zero pitches of climbing, total failure. Doesn't really feel that bad. Okay, one for two. It could be better, it could be worse. But still, in the grand scheme of things, mountain biking, going to the crag, they're not really going to ever be huge memories. I mean, they're kind of run-of-the-mill. I mean, if you're going to do something memorable and you don't have two weeks to commit to the project, you've got to have a car, right? For two days, I pore over bus schedules, search through guidebooks and check mileages. Slowly from the matrix of timetables and topo maps, something improbable emerges. A 1,200-foot, 510 climb tucked into wilderness, in a day, from Seattle and back, with no car. When I plug it into the Metro website trip planner, the computer fires back, trip not possible. It's so on. Here's the breakdown. The 5.25 a.m., number 44 from Ballard to the U District. At 6.07, the 5.10 departs to Everett, at which point we will transfer the 2.01 up to Smoky Point. We have three minutes to catch the 2.30 at 8.37 a.m. before arriving at the small town of Darrington, nestled in the western Cascades. There is only one sequence of buses that will get us there. Miss a transfer, the day is over. Another bikes on the bus, the day is over. From Darrington, we'll pedal three miles on highway to Forest Road 2060, then up seven miles gaining more than 1,000 feet of elevation. The road will end, we'll hike 30 minutes into the Boulder Creek Wilderness, and then scamper up 1,200 feet of perfect granite. We'll have to carry a backpack filled with gear, two ropes, and enough water for a full day. If we don't climb fast enough, we'll miss the 717 out of Darrington and sleep in the woods. There are at least a half a dozen ways to screw this up. It sounds perfect. Four thirty comes around like a hammer blow. Apparently, I have to show up early. <laughs> like, really early. I mean, it's 6.10 right now. <laughs> but... <laughs> the earliest bird gets to learn. <laughs> the earliest biker gets their bike on the bus. Trip over. Okay, let's rewind. I know this will work. Let's try it again. Come on. Okay, deep breath. Breathe with me here. Alright, the alarm goes off. Pedal like mad, then the 44 to the 510. 510 will make or break us. This time, we arrive early, and we're the first in line. So the first leg of the trip is done, but I'm 
totally expecting it hosed at any moment. <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of a crazy sequence of events to make this all work. We make the next transfer, and then the next one, and pretty soon... I absolutely cannot believe we made it. <laughs> I'm kind of shocked. It all sort of came together. The nine mile bike ride is now complete. And uh, we're doing well. I think we're probably ahead of a schedule. Changing out of my bike shoes and my chakras for the hike up to the crag. We stash the bikes in the woods and start hiking. The, uh, the approach doesn't feel that bad after being on the bike with a pack for a while. Feels good, we got about half an hour. And it's climbing time. Okay, here we are on the uh, leg five, six, something, some sort of part of our day, That's and uh, part of climb. yeah, we're about to climb. Cool. You ready? I'm ready. Cool. Let's do it. Aware of the time, Beck and I start cruising upward on silver water polished granite. Not bad. Four pitches in sixty-five minutes. Pretty soon, there's nothing left to climb. We rappel down, pound back down the approach to the bikes in the long seven-mile descent down Forest Road 2060. Yeah, heading downhill towards home. Survive the climb. Hopefully, I think goes smoothie. Yeah. Back on the bus, bound for home. All the transfers go smoothly. When the bike rides fill up, the bus driver lets me drag my full suspension mountain bike onto the bus. Our steed takes us through the rush hour commute, through the working class towns and cities. We continue south through the university district into the trendy Seattle neighborhoods. Tired but far from exhausted, we ride slowly along Lake Union bike path and reach our home before sunset. And they said it couldn't be done. I lived in Seattle longer than any other place. I love this city, and I love Washington's mountains. They are where I came of age. But the transitions between these two, between the street shoes and the climbing slippers, I dread it. I hate traffic. The thought of sitting in traffic can paralyze me. But with each of these trips, I found that those places between my quiet neighborhood and my quiet mountain retreats were more than just hurdles. Children's laughter drifted through me on a fall breeze. In the dawn gloom, I paused to watch the easy rhythm of crew team's paddle strokes ripple outward on the dark skin of Lake Union. Racing buses through downtown concrete canyons, ducking between the surge of cabs and delivery trucks, 
I found myself uncontrollably laughing. Back roads led to unexpected riverbanks and sun-ripened blackberries. There can be magic in the transition. From a personal economic standpoint, not all these trips make sense. But the trip to Darrington, that cost a whopping $8.75 for both of us. While it certainly wasn't quicker than driving, we were also home in time for dinner, and the seven miles of downhill mountain biking were a total bonus. From the conservation standpoint, let's put it this way, the Middle East oil barons aren't exactly quaking in their shoes. Let's say the diary's 4,000 diehard listeners all took one trip like the Darrington trip this year. We would save 640,000 driving miles. We would also save 32,000 gallons of gas and 1,600 barrels of oil. That sounds like a lot, until you consider that America consumes 20 million barrels of oil per day. What does that tell us? It tells us I'm going to need some more listeners. Music today by Kuramin, Minchna, Delta Spirit, Windmill, and Alias. You can find links to the artist's sites and download complimentary MP3s on our website, dirtbagdiaries.com. Halloween is around the corner, and it's time for your scary stories. This year, we're presenting the first annual Night of the Living Dirtbag Contest. That doesn't sound scary, I don't know what does. If you or somebody you know has a particularly spooky or chilling tale of terror and suspense from the outdoors, submit at will. If the story is selected, you'll win a hand-printed Dirtbag Diaries sweatshirt from our in-house artist, Walker Cajal. You've got two weeks to get it to me. Just email dirtbagdiaries at earthlink.net with your subject header, Halloween. The Dirtbag Diaries is made possible by the good people at Patagonia. If you haven't checked it out, the crew over at Patagonia.com has launched the Tin Shed, a collection of stories, videos from their athletes and ambassadors. Stories from the big mountains of the world and from the small places in our backyards. So if you need your fix, head on over to Patagonia.com. I'm Fitz Cajal, and you've been listening to the Dirtbag Diaries. I'd like to think I'd take dictation